Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. You joked, Brad, but I actually think we could probably do a full episode just on the NHL releasing their NFTs 10 years too late. Put the, you know, explicit tag on this and I can go an hour and a half. (laughs) How many, like, what do they miss the wave by? Someone looked three years or something. Yeah, two, three years. When we initially talked about this topic, when it was announced that they were working on it, our whole bit was that they missed the bus. And that was like a year ago or something like that. Hey, man, <laughs> NFTs are worth nothing now. It's the right time to buy in. Evan. Buy low, sell low. <laughs> Evan, people aren't going to know you're kidding. <laughs> uh, that's their problem. It might not be. You might not be kidding. I'm more this of an could alf, age like milk. I'm more of an Alf Pogs guy myself. Oh, man. Bring back Pogs. You guys remember Bones? You Crazy Bones? Little, oh, oh, those yeah. were. That was it. Hey, it's Christmas time soon. You you know what to put. They sell to, themselves. I heard uh, Pokemon cards are coming back. Uh, during the pandemic, like the cost of Pokemon cards cards exploded. Insane. Anyhow, the best thing about the NHL's announcement today was everyone's like jokes about other things that they were extremely slow on. It's just the most harmless example of the NHL being <laughs> the NH- the most inept pro sports league there is. And I was. We were very on brand because I sent out my stupid dated reference uh, to the NFTs, and then I actually started scrolling through my timelines. I think I went down two scrolls, saw yours, <laughs> went down two more, and there was Evans. But basically making the same joke, but with different items. Everyone was doing it today. It was the hot topic. If you have messed up bad enough where Evan is blowing the dust off his Twitter password to log in yep. and make a tweet to roast you, that's how you know you've messed up badly. Anyhow, folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and about 40 other topics today. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. You feeling better, Brad? I didn't actually feel terrible on this one, but I couldn't move without getting into a coughing fit. Mm. It was just one of those where everything in the throat, head was fine, but like if I rolled over on the couch, it was a coughing fit. Evan and I did okay. Yep. We did get, I immediately got some people coming out of the woodwork complaining about a lack of Brad in the YouTube comments, which I do find to be strange. So weird that you're astroturfing your own podcast's YouTube comments, Brad, but we'll let it pass. Hey, you can say I would screw you guys over in a lot of ways willingly, and I would. Don't get me wrong. I'm not ever logging onto YouTube comments for anything. (laughs) Brad. No matter how beneficial for me or detrimental to you, I refuse to go there. Whatever shred of Brad's mental health remains, he will not waste it in the YouTube comments. <laughs> exactly. No, we love you all. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be talking about Detroit's two global series games ahead. By the time you're listening, you may know the results of them, but they're the two games in Sweden that are going to be happening against the Ottawa Senators and the Toronto Maple Leafs on Thursday and Friday, respectively. We're also going to be talking about the standings. There have been some changes as other teams kind of figure their things out. The Atlantic division is starting to kind of take shape, and we're going to see what Detroit has ahead of them. And the importance of these two games, these are two Atlantic division games against Ottawa and Toronto. So, you know, we've been talking a lot every episode about what Detroit needs to do. And this isn't just like, 
know, a vanity trip to Sweden. These are two games that they actually need to perform well on, and they're away from home. I know both teams are away from home, and back-to-back, 2 p.m. Eastern games. So we'll be looking into all of that. We'll also take a quick look at the goalie situation as Vili Huso is out for a good reason. Congratulations to uh, him and his wife as they welcome a child. But we'll be taking a look at how Reimer and Line might be factoring in, as well as Max Boltman, good friend of the show. Congrats again to him and Allison. Uh, just recently released a piece on Lucas Raymond, so we'll do a couple quick notes on that. And then across the NHL is just a flurry of news. Three-on-three changes, Buffalo, everyone is hurt. We're not talking about the Bills, Brad. You can rest easy knowing that we're not going to be... I'm very happy to not talk about them. Calgary is cleaning house and all the players that might be on the move out of the Flames organization. Mike Vernon officially inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame and what next year might look like. Patrick Kane has begun meeting teams. The PWHL is running teams with no names and whatever else comes into play before overtime. Before all that, I want to let you know that this podcast is almost completely supported by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to support the show. You get access to some incredible benefits like our Winged Wheel Podcast exclusive Discord community. You're also automatically entered into all of our giveaways. We are giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season, the vast majority going directly to our Patreon supporters. Additionally, you get access to all of our bonus content. We record bonus overtime episodes right after these main shows. They're a little bit looser. We have some more fun. It's a little bit more off the cuff and... It's a good time. A lot of people really enjoyed that kind of uh, relaxed insight into us and our basically what happens behind the scenes as we record the show. And that is Patreon exclusive as well. So again, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to support the show. So Detroit's two games upcoming. They've had a little bit of a break here. They've been in Sweden. Lucas Raymond has been shouldering Detroit's, you know, Swedish representation. Is it extremely weird that he's the only Swede on the team? Jonathan Bergen was robbed of this trip. Him and Edvinson, man. It would have been really <laughs> nice. It would have been really nice to have him up there. I understand it. I mean, Evan and I talked last episode a lot about get Simon Edvinson up here soon, please. I think it would have been really cool to do it on the trip. I digress. But, you know, growing up with the Red Wings where, you know, there's the so-called Swedish mafia and Lucas Raymond being now the only Swede on the team, People still think of the Red Wings as a very Swedish team. A lot of Swedish connections. Obviously, Hakan Andersson is over there. Their Swedish development team is good. Nicholas Lidstrom's in the organization. Nick Cronwell's in the organization. It's all still there. But yeah, on the ice, it's it's just Lucas Raymond. For now, Simon Edmondson, Jonathan Berggren, Elmer Soderblom, Anton Johansson, Albert Johansson, uh, <laughs> William Bill- uh, William Willinder, William Willinder, however, <laughs> however he's pronouncing it these days. <laughs> the Swedish mafia is coming back. It just might take a couple of years. Yeah, there's just one that has broken through so far. Anyhow, the game against Ottawa and the game against Toronto. Let's take a look at the standings right now in the Atlantic Division. You have the Boston Bruins who still just have the one regulation loss thanks to the Red Wings. 12-1-2, 26 points in 15 games. Florida in the same 15 games has 21 points. They're 8-1-1 one, and one in their last 10. That's, That's one of the wild. hottest teams in the NHL. They're starting to get healthy. They found their groove. That is a team that is not losing a lot. They have already passed Detroit in the standings. Detroit holds the third divisional seed, 18 points in 15 games. Toronto has an identical record, just with fewer regulation wins. And then Tampa Bay, one more game played, 16 points. Montreal, 16. 
Buffalo 15 and Ottawa 12. So we talked previously, either last episode or the one prior, where top to bottom, there is very little separation. Like Florida to, to Ottawa is nine points. Detroit to Ottawa is third to last is six points. And Ottawa has two games in hand on Detroit. There's going to be people who are going to be really frustrated hearing this conversation and saying, it is way too early. The Red Wings have way too much to work on as a team to even be thinking about playoffs. And I honestly fundamentally agree with that. I don't really sweat any uh, two-point swings right now in terms of, uh, oh, the Red Wings absolutely have to win today to make the playoffs. I think there's some bigger picture stuff that needs to happen because they're not exactly playing like a perennial playoff team. But if you think about how the Red Wings would have made the playoffs last season, for example, these are the kinds of games where you don't want to lose too many points. Their last two games where I don't think they look the best, but they still walked away with three points out of four. That's the kind of thing you have to do. So two divisional games in a row, those teams are trying to play catch up after slower starts than Detroit to the season. You want to keep them behind for as long as possible. Yeah, especially with Ottawa being one of the teams that was supposed to be competing for one of those wildcard spots. If they can win that game against Ottawa, that an eight point gap this early in the season that would firmly plant Ottawa in the basement of the division where they already are by three points. That it's way too early to knock a team completely out of the race, but that would be a big enough swing that it would sure feel like Ottawa's out of it, coupled with all their injuries and everything else going on there. Toronto, I don't expect Detroit to finish ahead of Toronto this year, but the longer you can keep ahead of them, the bigger the you know ego boost or confidence boost, whatever you want to call it, uh, they can have and they can ride and. Strange things happen. You know, Austin Matthews blocks a shot off his ankle next week. That's a completely different team. Yeah, right? like at Buffalo right now. Yeah, hockey's a random sport. So you need to bank points whenever you can. And, you know, we talk with a lot of certainty about how we think, you know, Boston's still good. Toronto's going to be good. Tampa's going to be good. All of these teams are one or two injuries away from being a completely different team. And the same thing applies to Detroit. You want Detroit to be competitive this year if Larkin goes down around Christmas, January, something like that. If they don't have a lot of points banked, they're toast. So games like this could be huge swings in the standings that do have pretty sizable implications down the line. The banking of points is something that is a really, like, I'm glad you brought that up. That concept is, it's the other side to the coin of, oh, this team is on a PDO bender to start the year, which is to say that they're, Shooting percentage is unsustainably high. They're getting very lucky. It's the, the bounces are going their way, whatever. And that is, you know, probably true a lot of times for a lot of these stories. If you look at the Canucks, I mentioned to Evan recently, I think I'm probably just a little bit of a Canucks non-believer to put it gently. I don't think that they're going to stay at this height for this long, but you cannot avoid the fact that they've already banked 23 points. Banking those points is crucial. You're not going to label a team that's overperforming and, and hasn't run into the true test of a seven-game playoff series against a Vegas or whatever as a cup contender. But if you just want to make it to the show, that's how you do it. So, yeah, banking these points, that's why the, the conversation happens now this early on. So, uh, Evan, you were saying before the show that there's an aspect to this where the Red Wings have to play these important games away from home. And then they have the time difference they had to adjust to. They got there early, which is actually really good. But then they have to go back and adjust back. And it's tough on teams. I know a lot of teams aren't fans of this international trip. It's also hard when it's right in the middle of the season. It's one thing if it's at the start, you know, they kind of give you a little bit of a leeway on the way back. But with these teams, 
uh, they're right in the middle of their season. So they're coming back and there's only a very short break before they're right back on the regular season grind. So, you know, you kind of get in that frame of mind when you're going through the season. But now that you've got this trip, now it feels like you're on a work, a business trip or a little work vacation. You're doing a lot of things you wouldn't typically do in a regular, regular season. Mm-hmm. Then you got to switch and go back when you get back to North America. It can be really tough. So I wouldn't be shocked to see if all three of the one or all of these teams have difficulty when they come back. But I mean, they can't be worrying about that right now. The the task at hand is taking four of four points from two divisional teams. Well, the the math too is huge because again, not only do you gain two points, you they're four away, point games. Yeah, yeah, you're taking away two points from your competitors, which is still a form of banking points. And if the Red Wings can win these two games. That is a lot of breathing room for a team that is desperate to be relevant. So even if they finish a little below 500 in that stretch, they're playing meaningful games in April, which is what we wanted this year. How they get there, we don't care, right? As long as they are playing those games. And if it's off the back of a really hot start and then a very mediocre rest of the season, I don't think anybody here is going to be that surprised by that. And I don't think anybody's going to be upset by that. But that's what could happen here. And it could be to the benefit of not just this season, but the rest of the rebuild coming out of it, because now Cider, Raymond, and all these guys who have never played important NHL games in April are. Yep. Now, again, knowing that folks will have probably seen or know the result of the game is depending on when you listen for the sake of the conversation here, Billy Husso uh, isn't going to be factoring into this trip because they just welcomed a new baby into the world. So congratulations to the Husso family. You know, the Red Wings, obviously, this is why you carry three goalies in case of injury or welcoming a baby into the world, I guess. So Detroit's de facto starter uh, isn't going to be factoring into these two games. So James Reimer is going to be starting the Thursday game. And it was mentioned that Lyon is likely for the second game, although it's not ruled out that Reimer would take the back-to-back. We talked last episode a lot about, you know, when are you going to get Lyon in? He has to go for the sake of injury or covering in case he has to back up. But if he doesn't play in either game, then they can probably still employ the the conditioning stint plan with Grand Rapids. But if he does factor into that second game, then that kind of takes that out of the cards. So what the Red Wings will do, I'm not sure, but I would definitely love to see Alex Lyon play. I understand the want for the conditioning stint. It's hard to throw a goalie in cold, not having played competitive games in how long, and then all of a sudden... You know, go play in Sweden when your team is tired on a back-to-back like that. Would we be... talked about setting guys up for success last episode. Uh, putting Alex Lyon as a second guy in a back-to-back, having to face. I think they play Toronto second. Yes. Right? Yeah, that's uh, probably the opposite of <laughs> of setting someone up for success. Or maybe he just comes out and just has a performance of a lifetime, and that changes everything in net. Welcome to the real world, bud. Yeah. Yeah, he'll be the the great wall to stop William Nylander's 16-game point streak in his home country. Man, Nylander is something else this year. It's almost like he's on a contract year. He's playing that is contract Well, man, hockey. he had to take the subway. Times are tough, you know. <laughs> he's he's feeling it. To be fair, William Nylander makes about 7 mil a year, roughly. That might not be enough to afford downtown Toronto. That's still commuter. Yeah, that's a commuter city. Yeah, he's like in, he's in Mississauga with that money. He uh, can afford rent, but yeah, he's not getting. That's not Liberty that. Village money. He's uh, he's like a bedroom plus den, not a two or three bedroom apartment. He's above guy. studio for sure. That's right. Yeah, sure. 
He has full windows. There's no half window going yeah. on over there. Yeah. Anyhow, that's what the Red Wings have. We'll see what the goalie situation is. Again, I would love to see Line in there. We'll see. Uh, Max Boltman over in Sweden. Right. What a grinder, man. Gets married immediately on a plane to Sweden. What a guy. So Max is over there and also released an article on Lucas Raymond. Obviously the focal point right now of the Red Wings trip to Sweden. Like I mentioned, the Red Wings only Swede who's playing right now with the Red Wings. And he's having a much better season, the one that we kind of predicted that he would have to have based on what he did in the offseason, getting much stronger, adding on that muscle. It's almost become a meme at this point. The 12 pounds of muscle that Lucas Raymond has added is practically a depth forward for Detroit. But what about Lucas Raymond's start to the season? How do you read his performance? Also, I'm going to link to the article. Please give it a read. It's uh, really, really well done, obviously, by Max but what about Lucas Raymond's performance have you noticed this season? And do you think that this is the kind of year that we've wanted to see from him? I would say so. His strengths still look like his strengths on the ice, but his weaknesses look lessened. Mm-hmm. He's winning puck battles. He's not getting pushed around that easy. He does seem a step quicker, which would you know, make sense with added strength. You know, nothing fundamentally about his game looks any different. He's just executing better. And I know that's, you know, sounds like boring coach speak, but that's really what it is. He looks like Lucas Raymond. He just looks like a better version of Lucas Raymond. His puck battles, which is something that Max mentioned, is something to me that's, it's part of the, he has to play the game the right way. When when Raymond got into a cold streak, he looked adrift. Like he looked a little bit lost, like he was trying to force something he couldn't make the offense appear out of thin air, and he just looked a little bit frustrated. And, and it's not a unique thing, especially for sophomores. Dylan Larkin, uh, Max got a quote from Larkin where he said, like, this is something that a lot of guys, most guys go through. It's really weird, but in your second year, it's you just have a down year. But figuring out those small areas of the game is what unlocks a player's ability to, you know, exhibit their extreme talent or the big areas of their game. So we know the kind of offensive plays that Lucas Raymond can make. We know the kind of player he is, but the NHL is all about that, you know, two foot by two foot box you play in or whatever the quote is, Evan. And for him to be able to win those puck battles and, you know, not to sound like mindless platitude coach number five that just cycles through the NHL, you do the right things and the game is going to come to you and the production is going to come to you. So is he... Scoring at a 100-point pace right now, no, but anyone who's watched the Red Wings understands that Lucas Raymond has been, by and large, Detroit's most consistent or one of their most consistent offensive players, and he's uh, he's just been playing the right way all season so far. Yeah, I would just say Lucas Raymond's probably ha- happy with the start to his season, and I'm sure the team is too. Like He addressed one of his biggest weaknesses, and he was just too soft on the puck, and and getting the puck back down below the goal line and along the boards was just too difficult for him. So it's good to see that he can address those types of deficiencies because there's guys who just can't do that. And it's good to see someone out of like him, who the Red Wings took so highly uh, that he's able to address those sorts of things. So good start to Lucas Raymond's season. Read the article. It's well worth a read. I hope this is one that we look back on at the end of the year. And it's, you know, a story that's continued for, for Raymond because my dramatic and probably a little bit too big of a take from the preseason I still hold, which is the Red Wings are going to go as Raymond goes this year, especially now knowing that, you know, if Dabrinka goes cold or Larkin is playing hurt or whatever, they can't have all of their offensive threats disappear. They just don't have enough of them. So good on Raymond. 
I hope he has a good two games in front of his, uh, well, not exactly home fans because I know it's not exactly his hometown, but his home fans. Cool that he's gets to play in Sweden. All right, that's the Red Wings. We will chat with you again after their next two games. For now, let's jump into some NHL news. The three-on-three changes that we have discussed many, many times, they seem to be coming. Anytime you have meetings, GM meetings, board of governor meetings, whatever it is, and a topic comes up that gets reported on, where there's smoke, there's fire. And it looks like the GMs are talking about the three-on-three rules and how to get away from the you know, just possession nightmare in the overly gamified three-on-threes that the NHL has become. Yeah, and before we even get into the conversation and the ideas and, you know, the fixes that are being thrown around, it's important to remember the reasoning behind this. The NHL is an entertainment product. That is the point of putting hockey on TV, putting fans in the building. The whole reason anybody does this, pays money for it, is we want to be entertained. So I know some people are already upset that three-on-three doesn't feel like real hockey, which my response always has been, who cares? It's fun. If there's a way to make it more fun, they should do it. It's one one thing that gets brought up is that this is going to just be another rule change that's going to further bastardize what the game of hockey is. And three on three is already of a, yeah, that's a stretch for a lot of people. And I understand that argument. I really do. I think before this happened, anytime there was a, a three on three and it was like, major news you would see it on the hockey headlines for the next few days like oh both teams took two penalties and now you have three on three hockey this is exciting it does feel contrived but i will take it over the shootout what i will say is that there are certain rule changes that feel like it takes it across the line for me the over and back rule for a lot of people will do it and again i can understand that point of view but i think that's less that feels less weird and less like removed from what hockey is than a shot clock for example so if they go over and back, it's blown dead. They get a penalty. Was there any of those details discussed? No, but here's where this rule would be made or or broke. Because if they make it a face-off, who cares? Because you're just wasting time slowing the game down anyway. If you're trying to keep the flow and the entertainment of three-on-three overtime, face-offs do not help. Because if a player gets caught, you know, you as a former defenseman, no. Mm-hmm. If you have the puck on the wall, on the blue line, trying to keep the zone, and you have heavy pressure on you, possibly even a double team, you're probably turning that puck over. So in this scenario, in three-on-three, three, all you would have to do is take one step back to get a face-off, and that probably seems worth it. Yeah, that's a good point. Right? So the it would have to be a penalty which to me feels too extreme for how minor of a you know quote unquote infraction that would be this almost has to go and again people i'm going to circle back to my you're getting further away from the actual hockey and i say who cares would almost have to go to shinny rules where okay you have now gone over and back that possession is not yours you are required to dump it into the corner and you go Back on your side of the red line, and you're not allowed to cross it till they get to the blue line with the puck. Like it has to just be. I hate it. I hate it so much. It's but that's the thing. I don't love it, but it's the only way to not just replace one problem with another bigger problem because you're slowing the game down. Are we just like engineering a fix for a problem that really isn't that bad? 
Like, is it really that bad? Three on three overtime is still very exciting. Are we just like nitpicking here? Because to me, that the oh, we've never nitpicked on the show. We've never nitpicked. We never we never go to the minutia. <laughs> no. I I think what's happening here isn't like it is nitpicking. Honestly, and I don't think that three on three itself in a vacuum is as it is now is all that bad. I think what's got people, you know, all all up in arms about this and kind of rightfully so is we saw what three on three used to be. We've seen three on three at its peak where it was just maximum chaos. It was well, no one, no one knew what they were doing. Exactly. The first year yeah. of three on three was some of the most entertaining you know, product the NHL's ever put out. It was phenomenal. The shootout was great at one point too. Yeah, and eventually goalies figured out, coaches figured out, it gets slowed down to the point where it's lost its appeal because it's been coached out of it. I so, can't stand what Kuznetsov does. I know I know it's legal and I know it's sick in a lot of people's eyes. It just, uh, that one to me. So what we're nuts. trying to do is overcome the old hockey men like Ryan here. And you have to get creative to do it. And again, you know, there's there's a phrase for it that's eluding my mind here. Like, you have to be careful of the unintended consequences. The NHL thought they were fixing something when they implemented offside review and they made their product worse by doing it. The same risk is very real here because if you turn that over and back or shot clock violation, whatever, whatever it ends up being, into a face-off, we're done. Holy hell is that going to slow down three and three? That would definitely make it worse. If you can do implement this rule where there's a way to keep the flow of the overtime going, I would take that as a huge positive, but that has to be structured very carefully. I'm starting to no, think. No, if it goes to overtime and you lose, no, no loser point. That might, you know, Force teams to play a little bit more offensively. There was a conversation where someone asked, what do you mean? Every time you, every time you talk about overtime, you say there's a third point added, and what do you mean? And this is what we're talking about, the loser point. Because currently, if you win a hockey game in the NHL, it's two points, and the other team gets zero. But if you go to overtime, all of a sudden, there's a third point added. And honestly, it, it keeps the standings tighter, and I'm sure it's better for drama at the end of the season, and the NHL likes it for that reason. But I agree with Evan. I would prefer a three-point system where a regulation, a game I is worth three, three points. Well, I'm saying three points, so I'm, I'm pulling you onto my side whether you meant to or <laughs> oh, not. okay. <laughs> You're a really smart idea, Evan. I agree with you. A, a game is worth three points no matter what. Three points are handed out no matter what. If you win the game in regulation, three points. And if you go to overtime or shootout, you get two points for the win. The other team gets the other point. Here's where we need to amend that if we want to create more excitement in three-on-three. I'm with you on the three-point system, but I don't think it goes to the 2-1 until shootout. Because if you go go 2-1, then 2-1, there's no incentive to end it in overtime because it's going to be the same distribution in a shootout. We're going to get two or one regardless. So you want that extra point you have to end it in overtime. I don't hate it. You want to know what I want to do? Regulation, well and good. Overtime, five minutes of four on four. Nothing, great, below the horn. Five minutes of, or actually as much three on three as it takes until there's a goal, no shootout. I'm done with the shootout. I don't want hockey games to be any longer than they already are. So I would rather just do three on three for 10 minutes yeah. if, if if it's 10 minutes total and five of it's four and four 
five of it's three on three. I'd rather just 10 minutes three on three. Most likely get it over with. What if we did overtime at the start of the game? What are you talking about? <laughs> That's, I'm getting crazy. What are you talking? What does that mean? Well, so then what? it doesn't totally dictate the outcome of the game. So if you score in overtime before the game. No, if there's the game... no overtime. They have overtime at the start. You get the three on three out of the way. There's none of the BS. You get your big dogs out there early. They, that's their prime opportunity. So you're just to saying score like the goals. first five minutes of the game is just three on three. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Weird. Then the then for the first period starts after that. Okay. Here's that a- is easily the stupidest <laughs> no, thing you ever on. seen. On the come show. on. That is gone. I know we have no. Co- I know the the Red Wings no. had a play between last episode and that's, this one. No, I've said way worse things. <laughs> hold, hold on. I've said way worse things. Hold on. He he said that, I think, mostly jokingly. I'm going to give you a serious proposal that's probably dumber. Last episode, I, I said Ken Holland, or a couple episodes ago, I said Ken Holland will be a Hall of Famer. Forgetting that he was already in, like, in that moment, I forgot, and it was only when I was editing, I was like, oh, damn it, because well, he went in during the pandemic. You'd never and, know people who make that many mistakes could be rewarded for so long. And anyway. that was less stupid than what you just said. I don't think it's bad at all. Okay, <laughs> hear me out. <laughs> hear me out. We've all played in these tournaments, and I understand the logistics of you gotta, you can't go continuous in the regular season because yeah, yeah I get that. I, I understand the logistics of that. Minor hockey tournament rules: four minute, three minutes, four minutes, however long you want it to be. Three on three, no goals. Two on two, no goals. One on one, and you just keep taking players off the ice until someone gets a goal. I was in a tournament when I was like eight, nine years old that had that rule where it went to one on one, no goalies. I would, I would honestly, if that happens, I would want Mike Smith to come back to the league because I think he would kill a guy. Goalies would have to become hyper active in the overtime. Yeah. But would that not, would a one-on-one with goalies in net, like I would not go to pulling the goalies, not be way more exciting than the shootout or even any other aspect of the game? That would be mental. It would be. It's too crazy for the end. But it's too, it's it's just as gimmicky as a shootout. It's basically a shootout. Your goalie makes the save. Fires it up to you. You're on a breakaway. It's a shootout. What if there's a fight? <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, uh, Godspeed to the NHL. This one actually seems tough to solve. I can't wait for the uh, Billy Huso NFT when he goes down and dummies uh, whoever's playing in net for Toronto that night. Yeah, Billy Huso. That'll be a big, big purchase for me. Undresses wall. Yeah. You could get weird with that because the league I play in has that overtime rule. So we practice it from time to time. And uh, the drill we were running was we'd all get on the bench and we'd play like overtime. But then the coach would just call out three on three, two on two, one on one. And then whoever was up next, just that many people went out. So me and uh, the defenseman who was next to me on the bench were like, okay, if he calls one on one, you go. If you get possession, we're pulling the goalie. We were. So it happened. I went out one on one, got the puck. You know, kind of ragged it to kill some time, opened it up. He yelled, goalie came off, we went out, we scored right away. It worked. So you could see weird stuff like that. If they do that, Sergei Fedorov's a coach in the NHL next year. Oh, hot. so is Patrick Waugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just absolute. Dan Campbell can convert over to the NHL. Just oh, 100%. The okay. Well, that is uh, our crazy take on three on three. Apologies to anyone that we just offended with those opinions. More from the GM meetings, the NHL is discussing the uh, central registry for no trade lists, basically that are part of clauses for whatever contracts. Uh, If a player has a limited no trade 
list or anything like that where they have to say, I'm only okay with being traded to these teams or I'm not okay with it being traded to these 10 teams. However, it's it's formulated. Basically, after the whole ordeal where Ottawa ended up being penalized, a first-round pick in one of the upcoming three drafts, the NHL said, okay, we're going to do a central registry for this. And it looks like they're moving away from that notion as agents and teams were worried about no trade lists and things leaking. Because the moment you have to transfer that information out from the team, obviously there's going to be nodes of failure and Elliot Friedman's going to find out who's on who's no trade list or only trade me here list or whatever. But it looks like an optional list or an optional registry with teams highly encouraged to register it with the central registry. <sighs> I don't blame the NHL on this one. That's that's from the agent. That's from the NHLPA. Yeah. Like the- that's that's on them. There's clearly some nuance to it that the general public like us don't understand about how no trades lists work in reality. So yeah, I can see why agents and players wouldn't want that uh, to be leaked out, but they're not really helping their cause in avoiding a, another Dadanov situation. Well, it'll be funny when it happens. And we know the price is a first round pick, so as long as it's not Detroit, then great. Wonderful. Okay, let's talk some more about... The NHL, teams that are going through it right now, Buffalo, Tuck is out, Quinn is out, and now Tage Thompson is supposed to be out long-term. Big implications for Detroit, big implications for Buffalo, who sits seventh in the division right now, seven, eight, and one. Again, not completely out of it, but they need to hit the gas soon if they want to climb up there with Florida, Boston, get past Detroit, what have you. And for them to be missing those three players, like that is a lot of offense all of a sudden gone from that team. Well, we talked about earlier how hockey is such a random sport and you need to bank points because you never know when players could get injured and the Sabres lost some really, really key players, which dramatically shifts the outlook of their season. They went from a damn near a playoff lock to you know, based on who you're talking to, which was most people yeah. to now they're a long shot. They have not banked too many points. They're below 500. They are missing three of their key players and they're playing catch up to six teams ahead of them in the Atlantic. This looks like a, not like lost cause, but an extreme uphill battle for them in a hurry. Yeah. The timing is like you said, Brad, that is bad. You're not doing this with points banked and all of a sudden, Buffalo season gets really bleak. You talk about teams like Edmonton and such, whatever. Uh, that's actually, I shouldn't say whatever. That's a big hole they have to climb themselves out of. But for Buffalo, where this is a year that they were supposed to make a big leap, that's hard. Uh, so they're going to have to find a way to win without those guys if they want to be in the conversation in March and April. But we'll see. Anyhow, one man's loss is another man's gain, and that is Detroit with a small but important you know, advantage through Buffalo kind of going through it right now. Uh, we said in previous episodes, the longer the Atlantic division is in shambles, the better for Detroit. Speaking of being in shambles, I think I predicted this team to turn it around this year, and, and I was wrong, but the Calgary Flames, 5-8-2 and two through their first 15 games, 3-6-1, and one, Huberto's not doing anything, Kadri's not looking that great. You have, basically that team is supposed to be way better than they are right now. They're supposed to be a playoff team. They're supposed to be up there with Vegas. And instead of them up there with Vegas, it's Vancouver, which I know Calgary hates. The only solace to Calgary right now is that Edmonton is somehow doing worse. But, you know, they went from almost signing Lindholm long-term to like, what, 9.5 a year to now he's maybe more likely to be traded. Tanev is all over trade conversations. Him and Zadorov, 
Toronto wants both of them. That looks like at least one of them is going there. Hannafin went from being almost a lock to signing his contract this offseason to now being traded. They're unloading, and they're going to have a, an impossible task of trying to rebuild around very uncertain core pieces. And also, you know, you can't suck too hard. You have a new arena coming. Unlike Edmonton, where they made the playoffs last year, won a round, were one of the top teams in the league, and then are going through it, there's reasonable expectation to bounce back because they were a good team. Calgary missed the playoffs last year. They This was supposed to be the bounce back year. And I will say, this is one of the very few times where I would say a GM is actually being wise in a bad situation going, all right, I think we have to accept this core isn't going to do it. And the longer we try to hold on, the worse off we'll be for it. We have a lot of pieces that will be very valuable around the league this year. Zadorov will get a premium. Lindholm will get a premium. Tanev will get a premium. If you are going to rebuild, retool, whatever the hell uh, you want to call it, whatever the hell path you're going to take, Calgary's in a pretty good position to give it a good kickstart. And they are wise to realize that. Do the opposite of what Winnipeg did, where they were in the same position last year, except they actually made the playoffs and then decided to extend a couple of 30-year-olds eight years, which is what Calgary did last offseason. But in Calgary's defense, those moves were universally praised because those were very good players who fell off a cliff. Not all of them. Weaker is still pretty good. But yeah, it's wow, what the hell happened type of situation. But if the reports are to be believed, hey, they're at least responding to it in a way they probably should. Now, Toronto is one of the teams that are big into it, like I mentioned. And it seems like Atlantic teams are all over anyone who's available. Jumping over to Patrick Kane here, I know Detroit's been in the Patrick Kane conversation because of Alex Dabrinkit, and I think they'll always be on the periphery of it. But in terms of teams who are, you know, more into it, it seems, without knowing exactly how this is going to end up, Buffalo, obviously Kane's hometown team, is there. Toronto is in the mix. Florida is apparently really hot for for Patrick Kane. So you're talking about Atlantic Division opponents maybe trying to bring him in. I still have a lot of questions though like nick backstrom being out of hockey after his hip resurfacing like that one's made me so cold on this situation agree same thing like i've just not i could see it before and now i'm like ah it would be brand new if this worked out in a way that made it worthwhile for teams if you're telling me guys who come back from injury regularly take a long time to get started off patrick Kane's not even playing in the nhl right now after hip resurfacing surgery which just took out Nick Backstrom. Man, he better not be asking for a lot of money because even just having a guy like that after that surgery, I just find it really tough to say, where do you inject a guy like that in the lineup? Whatever the contract is, insurance is on Patrick Kane is going to be jacked up that rate for sure. Yeah. And that's a real thing for those who don't know. Contract insurance is something that teams pay for. So this could be the optimistic or pessimistic look on this, depending on how you think Patrick Kane's going to bounce back. But that Tage Thompson injury might actually sway the balance of what happens here, because I thought Buffalo was going to be the favorite to land him. But the reports are Patrick Kane wants to go somewhere and win. I don't know if I'm betting on Buffalo right now to be that team. I don't know if I'm betting on Detroit. Well, I'm definitely not betting on Detroit to be that team either. But the Leafs don't have cap space. The Rangers don't have cap space. The Stars don't have cap space. The Panthers don't have cap space. All the teams that are, you know, in it to win it and have been linked to Patrick Kane 
don't have the money for him unless he's asking something very reasonable. Detroit's the one team that's in this mix that might actually make the playoffs and has the cap space. So I'm not, I've never at any point in this process had Detroit anywhere near the favorites in this, but they, I think they have gotten a boost in the last couple of weeks. If, if you are in the camp of, you want them to sign Patrick Kane. Now, as we've learned in the past, the salary cap is fake. Mm-hmm. So if the Rangers or the stars or the Panthers or the Leafs really want Patrick Kane, they could easily make the space, but they'll have to do some gymnastics to do it. Yeah. It's the hit man. It scares me. I'm just not <laughs> the whole situation just doesn't pass the sniff test anymore for me. It did at the start of the season, maybe when we were in the honeymoon phase of the Red Wings, just lighting everybody up, and Alex Dabrinka couldn't be stopped. And I'm like, yeah, bring in Patrick Kane, because imagine how many goals Alex Dabrinka could score then. And now I've seen, like, Nick Backstrom. I've, you know, you've seen rentals not really work out, and I'm just, it does not pass the smell test for me anymore. We'll see how that one goes. The Hall of Fame, and before I get into the Hall of Fame, I, just to, a note about the thing that I joked about earlier, uh, when we were talking about Ken Holland, it probably last episode as Evan and I were talking about everything that's gone on in Edmonton, and I said something like, oh, you know, when Ken Holland retires, he'll go into the Hall. He's already in the Hall of Fame as a builder. I just had a massive brain fart in that moment. I, of course, wouldn't have corrected you. No, of course you would never have corrected me. But he's already in the Hall of Fame as a builder, well-deserved, as I was making the point in the moment, but... Yeah, the he went in in 2020, so I'll blame that one on you know everything that happened during COVID was a blip. So that was uh, Ken Holland is already in, but Mike Vernon was recently inducted in the slew of goalies that went in to the Hall of Fame recently, which I think anyone who has a highlight where they punch Patrick Waugh in the face and being part of that brawl and at fight night at the Joe, yeah, absolutely. But Mike Vernon is in, and what does that mean for next year's Red Wings uh, candidates? Is Henrik Zetterberg going to be in? Is Pavel Datsu going to be in? What do we see on the horizon? So there's been a million articles already posted this year about first-year eligible players next year. Pavel Datsuk is the headliner on all of those, and most of them seem to agree Pavel Datsuk will not get in next year as long as Russia is still waging its war on Ukraine. Because, you know, geopolitics, because Alex McGillney's not in, and there's no good reason Alex McGillney shouldn't be in yet. I think there would be a reasonable case next year because it's a very weak group of first-time eligible Hall of Famers. We saw Tom Barrasso and Mike Vernon get in. It would never happen, but I could probably make a very coherent case for next year to put in Datsuk, Zetterberg, and Osgood together. That'd be so cool. It would be phenomenal. It won't happen. Like The voters won't load up one team that much understandably so like mm-hmm. I, I understand why they would do that but that would be super cool for us if Vernon and Barrasso are in Chris Osgood's got a phenomenal case Guy Carboneau and other players of his like are in that makes Zetterberg and Datsuk locks they absolutely could be you know and hardware is a big thing Zetterberg and Datsuk have it I want to see Pav and Hank go in together. I understand that might hold back Zetterberg's case because again as long as Russia is a big you know, it factor in terms of where does the NHL and the IIHF stand on it? Is the war still happening, et cetera, et cetera? It's going to be tough. You're going to see fewer even, you know, we talked for a long time of is Fedorov coming over to coach. I All that is going to be way more unlikely as long as this is happening, but I really want to see the 
that we, ha- we haven't called them this in a long time, but the Euro twins going together. It'd be cool. Oh, that'd be absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. We'll see. Anyhow, that is the Hall of Fame. Why don't we jump into overtime now on this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast? Overtime, again, is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash podcast. The ticket giveaways, the Discord, the bonus overtime episodes, and lots more are some of the benefits that you get. You allow us to host Winged Wheel podcast nights at the LCA in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings. You allow us to support the Jamie Daniels Foundation, uh, expand our content, Expected by Whom is a show hosted by Prashant Iyer and Sean Shapiro. That's part of the Winged Wheel podcast, you know, expanded content universe. And a lot more, that's what you allow us to do when you support the show. So again, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. Let's take some questions here from the patrons. The Mexanadian said, I know the Red Wings have two top goalie prospects in Augustine and Cosa, but I was curious if you see any way for guys like Guylander, Lethman, Bednash to be part of the organization at some point. Most of these guys are long shots, uh, especially Lethman and Bednash, but goalies are weird. The NHL, we've seen time and time again, even recently, of goalies you've never heard of burst onto the scene and become something special. Did anybody know who Carol Vomelka was uh, in Arizona two years ago? No, but now here he is, a solid starting NHL goalie. Guy Lander in particular has the intriguing tools to maybe be that guy, you know, six foot seven, athletic, et cetera, et cetera. More, way more often than not, these guys don't pan out. But every once in a while, there's that one guy. So I'll never, ever completely write off a goalie prospect, but you have to look at the tools. You have to look at the tangibles and then make educated guesses on who could, in theory, string something together. And out of that group, Guylander makes the most sense to me, but even that's still a big long shot. Yeah, they're darts, but you don't write them off as early as players. Just They're... Kind of easy assets to have because you need, much like your beer league team, every team needs goalies. And as you get further down an organization, you go to Toledo or whatever, there's going to be spots for those guys. But you just have to kind of be patient and hope one pans out. The higher the pick, generally, I think, the more likely they are to pan out. But it's not, if drafting is an imperfect science, my God, is it imperfect for goalies? Like we are, we have, we're five feet down in an entire ocean of depth in terms of understanding goaltending development, I feel. Okay, let's move on here. Dustin Morley says, do you think the Red Wings should have kept Danielson up? Seems like he could help the team and he would have benefited from it more than leading a bad team, which is what he's doing over in the WHL. I could be talked into it either way. I don't mind it. I Yeah, this is one of those ones... We don't know what the other side of the coin looks like, so I can't form a very solid opinion on it because the Red Wings are struggling to score, which might have hindered his development there as well because as good as he is and as good as he's going to be, he wouldn't be a line driver this year and he wouldn't be playing on the top line. So if you're you know, parading him out there with, let's say, you know, Valeno and Rasmussen and they're scoring one goal every three or four games, that's not helping his development. So... Even though he's going back to a bad WHL team, it's still probably better for his development. And it is minor hockey. It is junior hockey, sorry. There's a decent chance he gets traded to a good team at some point this year because Brandon knows he's not coming back next year. So if they don't think they're going to win next year, junior teams operate the same way NHL teams do. This year's a write-off. Get what we can for the guy before he's gone. Yeah. I don't know. When the Red Wings were winning, I thought, yeah, definitely they didn't need to keep him up. Now I'm kind of thinking, hmm. 
It would be nice just to see how he could factor in, but I, I think it'd be asking a lot of essentially a kid to, you know, keep Detroit's offense afloat when other players are going cold. It's a little bit of optimistic thinking. You're right, Brad. If he was in a better situation than WHL, I wouldn't even be thinking about it. So I do hope that happens sooner, but I think you'd have to wait for a trade deadline for that. This one from Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe. A little bit of a hot take. They say, I'd love for the NHL to expand into Europe. People rightly bring up the travel aspect, but I don't think there needs to be regular season crossovers to make it work. It could be akin to the MLB scheduling prior to interleague play with the North American Conference and European Conference champs meeting for the Stanley Cup. It'll take a lot to get there, but I'd love to see it happen someday. Thoughts on that idea? It's one of those concepts I love, love, love in theory. Like just having a whole ass European division, I would love that. But that means you're basically coming up with eight expansion teams overnight and then figuring out how to implement this into actual league play where the rest of the league's playing each other, but these eight teams are only playing each other. It feels like it would be better suited to like a Champions League sort of setup than an actual part of the NHL, but I don't know. I I would love the concept of it, but in reality, I don't know how you make it work. There's probably a lot of European teams in the European leagues who'd be extremely opposed to this. And there's probably very, oh, we know there's loyal fan bases in those cities who would probably stick up for the little guy. Like they're like, this has been our team our entire lives. We're good with what we got. I'm not a fan of the idea personally for Evan. You suggested a lot of roadblocks. I think the players would, you might have some players who would definitely be down to go play, you know, for example, Switzerland and the NHLPA would <laughs> have a lot of strong opinions on it. I At the end of the day, to make it work, like, okay, you have a European di- division and then you meet in the cup finals. To me, that's not the NHL. I would be like a, a, a spinoff league. Like they've tried the Champions League thing so many times and that might work, but I don't know. I'm, I just, I think there's limitations. I think there's always this thought of endless growth and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think there's, there has to be a ceiling somewhere for the NHL. Personally, I think there's too many teams right now but that's because I grew up with 30, and so I think that's the right number. But 32, fine. They're eventually going to get to 36, and that is insane to me. Getting into Europe, oh my God. You, you already have it where Western Conference teams complain about travel. Like, I just don't see how you make that work unless you go into that what Coyote season tickets in, uh, anywhere but Tempe here suggested. And then to me, I'm like, that's just not the NHL. Then. That's just two different leagues. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't see the purpose of doing that. Ryan, you know the year they were you were born, there was 23 teams and 16 of them made the playoffs. I know, and, and it expanded over time. But to me, like hockey became full when it, be, when it got to 30. That felt right to me. I don't know. I, I get we're just comfortable with what we know. but And there's definitely European listeners listening right now to saying, hey, screw you. We'd love a team where we live in the UK or Sweden or wherever. But I think the most fascinating thing about this, actually this whole episode really is, Evan and I must have missed it or we screwed up when you became the old hockey man on this podcast. That's my job. Yeah. You are the boomer window now. You suggested overtime to start the game. You're no longer. He's coming up with innovative, creative ideas. You're like, don't change a damn thing. That's right. (laughs) Do the same thing and run your head into the same wall again and we'll see if something different happens. There's lots of options within a reasonable amount of time zone change. Like, why don't they investigate doing something in Mexico City? Why don't they, 
Why don't they get some of the California teams or Arizona to play down in Mexico for a couple preseason games? Test the waters there. I think there's a lot of... Sorry, European fans, but I think there's a lot of options they could explore within a few time zones rather than going over the Atlantic Ocean. I, for one, would love to see what the Honolulu Volcanoes jerseys would look like. Yeah, those would be... The pineapples. They, that's your <laughs> new favorite team. You're, you're yeah. leaving to cover the pineapples. That's right. Like you're leaving to move to Hawaii and cover that team. And yeah. You think the goal... Hawaii? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kapalua, let's go. Oh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> their, their jerseys will be on par with the Golden Seals as green and yellow if they're the pineapples. Golden Seals jerseys were good. We'd never see Evan again. Oh, you would never. never. We wouldn't see any star players in any other market ever again because they. if you were an NHL player and Hawaii was an option, yeah. you're taking league minimum to go play there. <laughs> Connor McDavid wouldn't need a heated driveway over there. <laughs> Volcano would heat it for him. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's take some more questions here. Jeremy Dahl says, since there are no games to talk about, I'm going to be asking some German questions. We keep talking about how Cider hasn't looked himself and is having a bit of a slow year. Are we sure Cider still has all of this potential? Don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan, but he hasn't seemed like the game breaker we have seen him to be. And last year we attributed to it to playing with Sherratt, but so far this year he's been paired with Wallman like we have all wanted. Also, if we hadn't picked Cider, how far do you think he would have fallen in the draft? Like one Mid- or two more picks? Yeah, it was Edmonton or Vancouver or both were really interested uh, in Cider. Uh, but to your question, I don't know. I I don't think Cider's been as bad as everybody's making him out to be. Yeah, I agree. We probably had higher hopes for him this year, but I don't think he's been bad. I think he still has all the potential. I don't think he's been bad. He's not been a bad player. It's just that he can be way better in my mind. He hasn't quite had that alpha dog, macho killer type attitude he's had i think that's the reason that for me that's the reason why i get sort of mixed feelings on on more cider this season even though his counting stats and his eye t- most of the eye test has been a good success so maybe that's the reason why people are used to him just lighting people up and yeah maybe that's it i don't know his his play in terms of defensive decision making and his ability to break up plays before they happen is something that i'm still seeing as missing from Mo Sider. We saw that right off the bat with him in his first year, and I would like to see that come back. That might be a little bit in terms of, you know, just playing less of a risky game. But I don't know. I, I've I've seen a lot more of Sider's defensive intuition in the past where I know that can come back, and that's what makes me harp on him. But no, he's not been bad. I agree with you, Brad. He's not, like, been a liability for Detroit. A lot of points for a guy who's a liability. No he, kidding. It's a good problem to have. But he's also still young. Like, he's still young, and defense is a hard position to master. Darlene started off, people thought it was slow, and now Darlene is one of the most dominant defensemen in the league. You saw what he did to Brad Marchand? Yes. Like he That guy is absolutely the centerpiece of the Buffalo Sabres, and anyone who watches hockey or watched hockey for any period of time knew that just because he had a, you know, quote-unquote, slow start to his rookie career doesn't mean that he wouldn't eventually become this. Remember, Victor Hedman was at one point on the trade block. Like, It's a hard position to master even when you're doing well. I still have all the faith in Mo Sider. Me too. All right. Give Walman the Heart says, which team is leading the league in vibes per 60? I nominate Anaheim. They're better than expected and only going to get better. Leo Carlson looks fantastic, and those purple jerseys are sexy. Also, Anaheim has had a ton of comeback wins. Yeah, they're... uh... 
they're loving it. But if we're talking just riding the vibes, oh, it's Vancouver. It's Vancouver, absolutely. It, like, are they actually that good? Yeah, probably not. Do they care? Not really. You look at their fan base and go on Canucks Twitter to see how they're doing. They're all, oh, this is unsustainable, but we love it. We love it. Petters, there was a point like three or four days ago, they had the top three scorers in the league. <laughs> that team does not make sense. And the longer I say it's going to come crashing down, the longer they're going to be that good. We're just so used to Vancouver being an absolute mess. They're winning hockey games and they were in the news for, you know, former GM or former executive conflict. And neither of them work for the team anymore. Like that's just the, the kind of media market they have in Vancouver. But yeah, man, that team is all vibes right now. Good for them. You got to build your team around the stars and they got a star goalie, a star defenseman and a star center. Uh, not that kind of hockey who's a new patron says new patron here first. I just want to thank you for being a massive reason why I've become a Red Wings and hockey fan. That means a lot. And thank you so much for your support. It means the world. Welcome to the Dub Dub Club. They say, how much do you think Sider's slow start is affecting his next contract? Considering that he's still one of the league's top scoring D-men. Thank you for your great content. You know, I had a conversation with someone recently in and around the league and they said something like, yeah, players negotiate based on the players they are, but once you get to like a certain star level, they are essentially negotiating for their slot. And Cider is Detroit's number one defenseman. Is he at all times playing like a number one defenseman in the league? Not always, but he is without a doubt Detroit's number one defenseman. They're very hard to find. They're exceptionally scarce and teams would kill. They would, GMs would pummel each other in the break room for a chance to take another GM's number one defenseman. And that's Sider's negotiating power. So do I think the dollar value might have come down a little bit in terms of his ask? Maybe, but where you're talking the margins here, you're not going to see a million dollar per year decrease based on his performance so far this season. Hell, if anything, they can say, you know he can be better and he's still putting up a ton of points. So you're buying his future years right now. But it's also Steve Eisman and he grinds his RFAs to a dust. He's saying, well, look at Anaheim's number one defenseman, Radko Gudis. That's right. Look at the money he's making. You think you're worth more than that? I don't think so. Your, his beard is way better, too. His slap shots per 60 are off the charts. We need you to scream into more Toronto goalies' faces. Yeah. That was so funny, man. He did it again, like, yesterday or the day before. <laughs> what an unhinged moment. I love that. Yeah, it wasn't as directly in the face of the goalie, but like right there. He is going to catch a blocker to the teeth. Absolutely. One who, did day. He, who did he crush on Toronto in the playoffs and then literally just stood there waiting for someone to come fight him and yeah. no one did? He was, he just has that physical, like you look at his numbers and you're like, no, not worth the, the money or term or whatever, but the the physical presence he brings and he pisses you off. I can think of like three different occasions where Radko Gudas did something. I'm like, you bum. Like, why are you like, that's such a dirty play. And that's what he brings to your team. You love to have him on your team kind of guy. Yep. Tope Daddy says, love the show, guys. Do you see us getting another chance to play in an outdoor game anytime soon? New patron, thank you so much for your support. Yeah, the team needs to get... The team like is getting more attention now, so there's probably enough to get the pull for a outdoor game. If they make the playoffs one of the next couple seasons, then that'll be enough to, where you know that they're going to sell tickets. But yeah, like you look at Detroit, if you want it to be in Detroit, then yeah, like the district has to be finished. I think Comerica would be a great park to do it. I love Comerica Park, but you see all that finished out and then you're going to start to see the attractions come to Detroit. The LCA, like not even talking about an outdoor game right now. The LCA is a gorgeous arena, one of the best sports facilities in the world. You want the infrastructure around it to be finished and then, yeah, you're going to get a lot more attention. 
Matt says, as a non-hockey player here, why do goalies love to not tend the goal? More specifically, why do they always try to send it around the boards? It could be an illusion, but it seems like it results in a loss of possession more often than if they let a defenseman take it. It's always been something I've never really understood the strategy behind. Because the key point of that is it could be a loss of possession on the rim, but nine out of 10 times when the goalies go to get it, it's because they don't think their team is going to get possession. So they are preventing the puck that was dumped in or whatever from going to the other team for sure. So in the goalie's mind, it's, I may lose possession rimming it on the boards or we will lose possession if I don't stop it. Yeah. Also, I go, sometimes goalies get bored. Like you see goalies come way out. Goalies are just, they're nutcases. Like goalies are absolutely unhinged people. There's no normal goalie. No. A normal goalie is a bad goalie, I'll tell you that. Yeah. If he seems like a well-balanced guy and you can hold a conversation with him without walking away thinking, what was that? Probably his safe percentage starts with an eight. That's just plain and simple. And they get bored. If you uh, if you play video games, think of like you're you're in a squad with your buddies, and then one of them always just like runs away to just find engagement, and then dies in a fight. Like that's that's what goalies are. They just want to come out and play the puck. They just want to feel something. Yep. For the ones where it's like a crazy one, where you're like, why are you out there? Anyways, that was definitely Steve Dangle's shadow account, right? Like, why are you not tending the goal? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're gonna wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Thank you for putting up with the hodgepodge nature of topics. This episode is the Red Wings played no games, but. We're excited to talk about the result, I hope so, of the two Global Series uh, Sweden games on next episode, which will come to you Sunday. Thank you all so very much for tuning in. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast or leave a rating wherever you get your podcast and hit that subscribe button. We'd like to thank all of our patrons, including our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Cider the Ass Kicker, Ryan's Grunge CD Collection, Ashley Van Conant, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. at the Cheesebag Navy, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, D-Town Westside, Exquisitine Buble Schwinslow, Fergus Member of the Black Eyed Peas, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, literally one of the players we mentioned in this episode, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K, Cannon Fodder, the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, RA, Red Three, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, that's what I appreciate about you. Woman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam Rose, Andrew Broderick, Axel's Sandy Pelica. Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Basha, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheeseback Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, D-Boss Snipshow, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Ferk Houston, NHL to Portland Baby, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Engels, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Let's Go Red Wings in Swedish, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Steven, the Hodag, the Mexinadian, the Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, ex formerly AA Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. Enjoy, sweet. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.